Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. I'm going to read now. This is John 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Thanks, Mike. Great reading. Well, welcome to Westminster Chapel. Great to have you here with us today. My name is Howard. Uh, My privilege to lead the team here. And you are here on what I believe is an exciting, but also historic day for us as a church Um, I will explain this later on. It will feature, so something to look forward to. It will make sense. But we're on the edge of doing something, I would say, truly beautiful for the Lord today. That is how Jesus described what Mary of Bethany did all those years ago for him. Mark chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 26 are the parallel accounts where Jesus says that. Today he sees our first opportunity to give towards our building project. It's our vision and giving day. And we've been dreaming about this building being transformed for some time. Our vision is to see hundreds of lives transformed. And one of the ways that we believe that will be achieved is by changing this building to better serve that vision. Can you imagine what it would be like if that front area of the church that you walk past with significant footfall, Houses of Parliament, the Abbey, Buckingham Palace was open throughout the week, hosting tourists and local residents and workers and students coming in, demystifying church, all the misunderstandings people have about church these days, demystifying what church, what the Christian faith is all about and opening doors to share God's love. The building project is about creating a wonderful, accessible, engaging missional space at the front of the church where we can bless and serve this community throughout the week. 
And it's about creating more kind of flexible, engaging, enjoyable worship space in here. It's about having a, a bigger platform so we don't have kind of two-tier and the kind of the drummer can't quite see the worship leader and what's going on and we're all a bit confined. So we can use this auditorium in so many more ways to glorify and serve God. It's about three things, really. It's about visibility. We want to have an amazing shop window, don't we, at the front of the church that reveals all the joy and the life going on inside that most people never get to see. Do you know what? Actually, our architects did a survey of what the surrounding people thought about Westminster Chapel. They thought we were closed. And I don't mean like we were just closed for the day. They thought this church was shut down, no longer operating, because they just couldn't see any life in the week. Wow, we want to change that, don't we? It's about visibility. It's about hospitality. We want to create the most welcoming place in London. For the people of this city to come in and enjoy. And it's about accessibility. It, loads of people these days, they've got mental and even spiritual obstacles that stop them from coming to church. Now we want to deal with those, as ways I've already kind of mentioned really. But we also want to remove all the physical stuff. We don't want anything else to stop people from coming to engage with what we're doing here, do we? We want to tear down all of the obstacles that people would have to come to church, including the accessible, accessibility option, obstacles, like the steps at the front of the church, like these ground floor pews. We don't want to discriminate any, against anybody. The gospel is for everyone. And we want everybody to be able to access through the main entrance as it was designed to come through wheelchairs, buggies, whatever, to come through and to find a seat that they can actually enjoy sitting at in this auditorium. You know, this, this building project, though, you see, it's not really for us. We're going to get to give to it. We will benefit for it in some ways. But it's really for the people who are not yet in this building. Those are the people we're seeking to give for. And it's going to be a game-changing project. God is going to use it to grow our faith, to grow us in generosity, to know him more closely and intimately. You can't raise this kind of money without doing that, unless one of you is incredibly, incredibly rich. And <laughs> um, but we really want to grow in our walk with God in faith and generosity. Because the cost of this project, just phase one alone, is going to be between a million and one and a half million pounds. And it's interesting then that Guy Miller, who's the leader of the movement of churches that we're a part of, Commission, which is part of New Frontiers, at our New Year's Eve service, he brought a prophetic word for us as a church for the year ahead. It's from the Old Testament, from a prophetic um, preacher called Haggai or Haggai chapter 2. And he said that the, the present glory of this church is going to exceed the former glory a Westminster Chapel, and this is going to be a year where God tests us in our giving like never before. But he, he will fill this house with glory. Yes. Now we've got to take hold of those words and, and mix them with faith today. See, I can't promise you what this building is going to look like. I can't say, you know, we've got some great images, we'll show you some of that just in a few moments. I can't guarantee that because it depends on a lot of factors. It depends on, you know, how we do with the planning authorities in Westminster. It depends on how much money we raise. It depends on some of the constraints and what you can physically build with an old church like this and what you can modify and what you, what you can't. It depends on those things. So we are giving in faith. I mean, we're always giving in faith, but we're giving in faith, believing that God will allow us to make the changes that we so want to see that will help us grow the mission and vision of this church. 
We're giving in faith. So I want to say that. I'm required to say this. If we don't find success with the planners, if that doesn't happen, we'll probably be able to make some changes with the building, but they might be different changes. So the money we raised today, you can't say, oh, that was the image. We wanted, I wanted that image. Now I don't have that image. Give me my money back just in case. I'm required to say that kind of thing. I'm sure you wouldn't do that. Would you do that? No, I'm sure you wouldn't do that. Um, there's so many other things that we could use that funds for. If we can't do the building, we believe that's right. But if we can't, we'll find other things to spend that money on for God's glory without a doubt. But I'm saying that because I'm required to say that. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm in faith that God has called us to do this, that he will, he will release extraordinary finance from us today and over the next few years to see this accomplished for his glory. I was at a prayer meeting just uh, last week for our movement of churches. And a leader came up to me. He leads a church in Southampton, a multi-site church there. He's called Chris Kilby. He gave me permission to share this with you today. He came up to me and he said he'd had a vision of Westminster Chapel, this kind of great Victorian cathedral. He saw it. He said, I saw some of the beautiful historical architecture in the shell around it. But as I saw inside it, I saw this building without pews. It had been modernized and contemporized without losing the history. And right in the middle of it, there was a fire and family, kind of spiritual family, and people were gathering around, this warmth, this fire, and they were like toasting marshmallows, and they were singing campfire songs. There was a, a joy and a life in this place. I said to him, does that make any sense to you? It's like, yes. Did you know that we're doing a building project? No. <laughs> it's amazing. Just signs of God's favor that he's in this. You know, Holly and I, we're totally committed to this building project. Absolutely. We're, we're kind of, we're all in. I tell you, we are giving to it like we have never given to anything, any other appeal in our lives before. I would say the same is true of our eldership. It's true of the Millers. Hey, they're giving. They're only here a third of their time. They're giving to this project. They're in faith for it. Our staff, our trustees, we've already raised 105,000 pounds from just 12, this is a strange term, giving units. Kind of in couples like husbands and wives equals one unit and other single people. That's amazing. Release of faith. So just what might it look like? Where do things stand right now? What could it look like? Well, with the help of our brilliant architects and the brilliant Becky Tan, we've put together this short little video for you.
applause for that. That was great, wasn't it? So before we get into our passage, before we get back to John chapter 12, I just want to set the scene with three general principles about giving. They come from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 to 9. You can find them there just so that some, some background groundwork are laid before we get in so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. So the first principle is this, that we should give in response to grace. Paul, and I don't think it's there in Scripture in the New Testament, he doesn't command you to give. I haven't told the guys, you know, no, lock the doors. This is a lock-in. If people want to get out, they need to cough up in order to be released. We're not doing that kind of stuff today. We're not commanding you to give. But we are saying, like Paul, if you've been made rich through Christ, God's poverty, we want you to give in response to the grace that you have received. That's the major principle of giving. The second principle is that you are to give in proportion to or in accordance with your means. That means those who have a lot should give a lot, and those who have no means are not under any compulsion to give at all. So if you're battling with debts, if you're struggling financially, if you've got major issues going on, yes, you could be being called by God to be like the widow and her might and to give everything you have, but we're not asking that of you. Actually, we would say this is a moment for you to kind of come and talk to myself or Andy and say, I'm struggling with my finances. Can I get some help? And we've got a debt. A debt counseling service here. We operate Christians Against Poverty, as I'm sure you know. We've got people who can help you budget and can sort things out so you can get your finances in order so you're in a position to be able to give. So give in response to grace. Give in proportion to your means. And thirdly, give cheerfully or joyfully. That can be hard sometimes because, frankly, uh, I think Holly and I, I feel a bit sick about the amount of money that we're giving today. And that's probably a good sign. If you feel like that, that may be a healthy sign, you know, that you, you feel a bit sick because there's a real test of faith. There's a, this is reality. You're not just giving out of the excess of what you have. You're giving sacrificially for God, and you might feel a bit sick about that. It's a good sign. But it shouldn't stop your joy. It shouldn't rob you of joy. It should still be cheerful in a sense because it's a privilege to give. You say, Wow. God has blessed me so much that I'm able to give. This is wonderful. And because it's a, the prospect of what your money will achieve for him. I, I just think about this front space. I can almost imagine what it's going to be like. And just sitting, having a coffee, you know, in our kind of missional coffee shop in the future. And just watching people come in. Encountering God, being impacted by God. Maybe it's a life skills course or a lunchtime alpha or a homeless coffee morning or it's a, a movie film screening on some kind of independent justice theme that's going on. Maybe we're doing an exhibition and we've got a whole lot of things about Easter and artifacts from Easter or you know, historical copies of the scriptures that are there for people to come in and see and engage with and people are being touched by God or they're just experiencing the warmth and love of being listened to and cared for. I think about that, the prospect, that brings me joy. Just how he might use this investment into his kingdom. So let's get back into the passage, John chapter 12. And I've titled this message, Beautiful Breaking. And the strap line is, if we want to release the aroma, we've got to break the vase, or the vase if you're American. Now, I know how some of you think. I know kind of some of the people, at least in my staff team. And when I say aroma, you are immediately thinking of a different kind of aroma than I had in mind. 
Yeah, some of you are nodding and smiling. Um, shame on you. We're talking not pop pop. We're talking perfume. We're talking the aroma of Christ. We're talking the beautiful fragrance of the cross being released. Mary had experienced her brother Lazarus being raised from the dead. John is particularly clear about reminding us of that fact as we read this passage. I mean, we know it already. He's raised from the dead. It hasn't happened that long ago in the account. But we're being reminded again deliberately that this woman, Mary, she's experienced her brother. She thought he was dead and buried in a tomb. And he's been brought back to life. And she is the woman who sits, doesn't she, at the feet of Jesus, listening to his every word. She knew Jesus' teaching. She'd heard Jesus predict his death, that he would die and be raised again on the third day, that he gave the sign of Jonah to illustrate that fact. And so now she's coming to Jesus. She wants to thank him. She wants to express her gratitude. Her brother is alive and she wants to do it before it's too late. And she knows Jesus be dead. And so she takes an alabaster vase. You see that in the other accounts in Mark and Matthew. It's described as that or an alabaster vial containing pure It's pure. That means it's the best. It's probably from a herb that is found in the high pasture lands of the Himalayas, which means it's seriously expensive. Judas is right. He's saying something like 300 denarii, which would have been a year's wages. You're looking at here her life's savings, quite possibly, maybe even her dowry. All the money that her family had saved so she could get married. And the gospel writers, their consistent witness together is that she takes it and she smashes it at the feet of Jesus. Archaeology tells us that these alabaster vases, these vials, they were a one-time use only. You had to seal them permanently in order to stop the evaporation. Otherwise the perfume would be lost so she comes and she, she smashes it lavishly all over Jesus. The other accounts record over his head and over his feet, releasing this aroma, this, this fragrance. She's spending her entire life savings, her security, maybe even her future marriage prospects, all going on Jesus. It's an amazing sacrificial act of generosity, but it's also a prophetic act. We don't really understand how much she knew But she knew enough that she was anointing Jesus six days before he would be killed and crucified. Jesus says that she's preparing him for burial. There's something about this aroma that it speaks of another breaking. Another body that would be broken and would release a a fragrance even greater of the message of the cross and salvation. She's releasing the aroma of Christ in this act. See, like King David, she would not give to the Lord that which would cost her nothing. And this is the radical generosity that we're called to, that reevaluates everything, the value of everything in light of Jesus. 
You see, Mary, she'd, she, her brother had been brought back from the dead. He, if you like, he'd been resuscitated. Those of us who simply believe by faith, we get resurrected. We are raised in Christ. Even now and in eternity, we'll be brought to life. We have so many more reasons to be even more generous than Mary was. We can be like her today. Do some beautiful breaking for the Lord. But, but, and this is the second point, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Judas is very critical of what Mary has done. He has harsh words for her. He almost goes on an attack against her. It's waste, this is poor use. She should have spent it on the poor. The truth is, it's a pretense, it's a facade. But a lot of people are critical of kind of radical generosity for Jesus. For some, you see, it's the stench of death. For the other, it's the aroma of life. Judas was Jesus's and the disciples. He was like their treasurer. And he was controlling the, the money, the purse strings. And he was angry, really, because he wanted this big gift to be brought into the pot of money he controlled so he could steal more out of it. But he pretended like he was holy. He cares about the poor and all of that. Sadly, the disciples, if you read carefully, they're, they're sucked into this. Totally, you know, brought into Judas's false facade, Jesus sees right through him and challenges him. Verse 6 If you really care about the poor, Judas, they're going to be around you for the rest of your life and you can serve them forever. If you really care about the poor, but Judas doesn't really care about the poor, he cares about himself. The power and the love of money had a hold on him. Strong. Just as this idol in our city of London is very powerful, starts to take a hold of each one of us. The love of money had a power over Judas. His love of money, it made him lie. His love of money made him, made him steal. His love of money ultimately made him betray Jesus God for what? 30 pieces of silver. His love of money stopped him from seeing what really matters in life. Mary, you see, she beautifully breaks the power of money. Judas is tragically broken by the power of money. And he ultimately commits suicide. It's tragic and it's a tragic story that you see repeated so many times again and again and again. Whether it's money, sex, power or all other kinds of idols that people worship these days. They're so discouraged they feel crushed and destroyed when they ultimately disappoint them. So what do we do about that? We smash them. We do what Mary did. We pick them up and we break them. But we break them beautifully for God. We transform them. Instead of them being a power over us, they are released to be an agent for the glorification of Jesus Christ and for God. So, I wanted to illustrate this for you today as powerfully and as memorably as I can. So I've had some help from Chris um, to do this. He's built me this lovely box um, here, and we've had one trial run. It went, I would say, how would you say, Chris? I think it went like 80% successful. There was a bit of backsplash on, on me, um, but it was good. <laughs> I want to make it memorable for you as possible. There are things we want to break to gate in order to break open God's presence amongst us. So we've got to smash money. Smash mammon. Here's my lovely little pink piggy bank. Um, here's my hammer. 
and say, oh, here we go. That love of money has got, got into you already, hasn't it? Okay. I just need to say, children, by that I mean grown men especially, do not try this at home. <laughs> okay, should we have a countdown? Should we do a little three, two, one action? Are you ready? Um, okay, three, two, one. Smashing the power of money in our lives. Wow. We've got to smash reputation as well. What other people think about us? Here's my Facebook mug. It must be true. I read it on Facebook. We care so much what other people think about us, don't we? You know, well-manicured Facebook accounts. I don't like that photo that I've been tagged in. Delete. I don't like what this person has posted to my timeline. Hide. All this kind of stuff. We're managing our, our exteriors all the time. We're so worried. What will other people think about us? Mary of Bethany, she comes in and she deliberately humiliates herself. Maybe you don't know this, but I actually think that the anointing of Jesus' feet with another alabaster vase of perfume, which is described in Luke chapter 7, it's described as being done by a sinful woman in a Pharisee's house in a different part of the, kind of the, the world, different town it's happening. I think there are two incidents. This is why I think the, the three Accounts that I've, I've said together, sort of this John, what is it, John 12, Mark 14, Matthew 26, they're different. That's one account from Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, it's a woman who's a prostitute who comes and she anoints Jesus and she lets her hair down and she wipes his feet with her hair. That was a deeply humiliating thing. That's saying, I am a prostitute. When you let your hair down like that in that culture... I'm a, I'm a woman of ill repute. I'm, I, 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 that's sort of what she's saying. And I think Mary, she's deliberately identifying, debasing herself. She's saying, I'm nothing. I care nothing of what other people think of me. I only care about Jesus. He's the most important person in my life. None of this other stuff. So we need to smash reputation. Okay. Chris has told me where to hit this as last time I hit it in the wrong place and it, it really went, yeah, went quite badly. So I'm going to try and hit it on her face. <laughs> okay, ready? Three, two, one. <laughs> the other thing we need to smash is materialism and stuff. Here's the slightly more painful one. Here's my old phone. My backup Wiley Fox phone. Because it has a control over us. I tell you, we're kind of smashing it metaphorically. I would encourage you to sell it. And, and give money to our building project or give it to the poor. Um, but we're smashing it. Because this stuff has a hole over us, doesn't it? Now, I need that top of the state of the art phone. Oh, someone else has got it. So we're going to smash it today. Here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Oh, that was a lot harder. <laughs> one more time. Three, two, one. Well, there, yeah, that's definitely gone out. <laughs> wow. Now, some of you might be thinking, what a waste. All this stuff, that's money, isn't it? Well, I'd just say, I paid for that. <laughs> it's, it's my waste, if you like. But also, I believe that's well spent to illustrate this point, to bring it home, that you might never forget the need to smash things, to beautifully 
break things for the glory of God. Just like Mary did. She was accused of waste. We want to release the aroma today in order to see people saved. To do that, we've got to break the vase. We've got to do some beautiful breaking of our own. Now, I'm not trying to manipulate you today, but I do need to tell you that there is a day coming when Jesus will return. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. And we will stand before him. Those of us who are in Christ, we are safe for eternity. We are secure. Heaven is our destination. But we will still have to give an account for how we've lived. And on that day, everything will look different. We will reevaluate everything differently. Do I really need that extra ISA savings account? Do I really need that state-of-the-art car or whatever it is in your life? It'll all look very, very different on that day. It reminds me of a very moving scene from the brilliant film Schindler's List. And it comes towards the end of the film, and there's a moment where Oscar Schindler, he's leaving the factory that he has started. He's run out of money. The Nazi regime has, has fallen. And you see, Oscar, he started out as an opportunist. He, he was really out to make a profit through the war. But the suffering of the Jews that he saw stirred his conscience and changed his attitude so that he would courageously risk his life to save 1,100 Jews from almost certain death in a Nazi concentration camp. And in this scene, he's leaving and the Jews are saying goodbye. And they're giving him a gift, a ring, to say thank you. Let's watch this clip together. Hebrew from the Talmud, it says whoever saves one life saves the world entire.
would have bought this car. Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. Person, Stan. For this. I could have got one more person. And I didn't. <laughs> Always really moves me. Could have got it one more person. When this life is over and all said have done, I do not want to be saying those words. What car, what pin could I have given if I just trusted God more? How many more could have been impacted? I'm not just talking about money. But faith, generosity in every way. This is not manipulation. I say that again. This is reality. It will happen one day. We will have that equivalent scene in our lives. It'll be full of grace. Absolutely full of grace. But we will know whether or not we could have done more. There's one more point before we move on. And it's a really encouraging one. Jesus wants you to see the side effects of your giving. That its impact can go way beyond whatever you can see whatever you even might have intended or expected to come out of your giving, it could go so much further. Um, Mary, she gave. I, I believe she was just so focused on Jesus, she had no idea of the impact that that would have. Verse three, it says the fragrance fills the, the whole house. The whole house knows about what she's done. The whole house knows how precious Jesus is to her. They can smell it. They can experience the reality of her devotion to Jesus. Don't we want that for this church in this city? That the fragrance of our love and our, our devotion, our, our willingness to lay down everything for him to declare to the world, you matter more to me than all the stuff in this life of money and materialism and reputation. I care not. I care about you being known. I'm releasing that fragrance. 
The second thing Jesus does is truly extraordinary. He multiplies the impact of her generous sacrifice. He kind of blows on it, if you like. This is the God, of course. He's the the loaves and fishes God. He feeds 5,000 people. Now, it's not really the feeding of the 5,000, that story. It's the feeding of the 15 or the the 20,000 we're talking about. It's 5,000 men besides women and children. They haven't counted the whole number there. It's enormous. And with what? Five loaves, two fish. He feeds them all. No one is without one, and there are 12 basketfuls left over. This is the kind of God to whom we are giving who will multiply its impact for his kingdom and for his glory. And this is what he does for Mary. Let me read to you from Mark's account, chapter 14, verse 9. Beginning in verse 6, sorry. She has done a beautiful thing for me, he says. And then that verse 9, I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This simple act of devotion gets multiplied so that millions of people in the four corners of the world would know that little people who are generous to Jesus become giants in his kingdom. He can multiply it. What can he do with your generosity today as we give, as we seek to do some beautiful breaking of our own? We, we, we can't know how, how far he will extend its impact for his kingdom, for his glory. We don't do it for that for our fame, but that is the side effects Jesus wants you to see that can happen. We give to the God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. Let me tell you, one story about this. It's my favorite giving story of all. It's a real story. It's about a, a missionary man in Hong Kong called John Bechtel. And this man had on his heart that he would start an orphanage in Hong Kong. And he walked around and he looked for a, a venue for that. And he found one day a school and he felt this was the perfect place, the perfect venue. So he sought to raise funds to buy it in Hong Kong, but he couldn't. So a friend arranges a preaching tour in America. He comes over to America and he preaches his heart out. And then a month later when he's back in Hong Kong, they collect up all of the, all of the, the fun money that he's meant to have and he's expecting to receive all the proceeds he needs to buy this orphanage, well, this school to build an orphanage. And he gets a letter through from his friend saying, I'm sorry, there's just one gift. It was from a 12-year-old girl. Here's her letter. Inside her letter is one dollar. And the letter says from this 12-year-old girl, I have saved up my allowance so I can give this $1 for the purchase of this building to build an orphanage. John is amazed at one level, but he's deeply heartbroken. How is that ever going to buy this building? But he prays. And as he prays, he feels God tell him, you need to go to that school and give this letter to them. Give them the $1. So he does that. He meets the caretaker outside and he gives it to the caretaker who reads the letter. Laughs in his face. I'm not taking that to the owners. You must be joking. That's ridiculous, he says. But John Bechtel, he knows Cantonese. He knows Mandarin. He knew the law. He said, no, 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 I'm insisting you are required to give every offer, no matter how much it is, to the owners. So the caretaker agrees and he passes it on to the owners. 
A week later, John hears back from the owners. And they say, we, we read that girl's letter. And we were so moved. We will sell you this building, our school, so you can build an off orphanage for that one dollar. Amazing. 25 years later, John Bechtel is preaching. He's now back in America. And he's telling the same story of what happened about this incredibly generous 12-year-old girl. And at the end of his message, a 30-something-year-old woman comes running out to him. I'm that, I'm that person, she says. I'm that person. She says, that was me. That was my one dollar. That was all that I had at that point. This is incredible. You see, there was no return address. There was no way of telling her what had happened. John is so excited. He runs out into the car parking lot, as they do in America. They've got those. He gathers as many people back in, come back in for the service. They take up an offering to send her back to Hong Kong. They raise 50,000 pounds, not only to cover her trip, to extend the orphanage. Amazing. You cannot know what God could do through your generosity today. But the only way you can find out is if you give. (laughs) As if you take a step of faith. That's the only way. So we're going to do some beautiful breaking for the Lord. If we want to release the aroma of Christ, we've got to break the vase. And we want to respond to the grace. Because Jesus is the true and better Oscar Schindler and he has demonstrated amazing grace to us. Because he spared nothing. He gave his life. He was the vase. His life was the vase on the cross. And he willingly, deliberately smashes himself into smithereens to release the aroma of salvation by which we can be saved simply by faith. He's been so generous. Our challenge, our, say, I want to give in response to that generosity. Yes, in accordance with our means. Yes, doing it cheerfully. There's a joy in this for us to celebrate together as a church. But yes, we want to do it just like Mary did. If we want to release the aroma, if we want to release the message of Christ, the message of the cross to this city, we've got to break the vase. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that you willingly sent your son and that he was smashed. How you must have felt. Broken, but beautifully broken to pay the penalty for our sin. Lord, we're so thankful. We're so thankful. Open our eyes and touch our hearts to remember again your grace, to be thankful for our salvation. And stir our hearts, Lord, to give now, to release an aroma that this city would hear about, that would draw them in to see how precious you are, more important than anything else in this world. Come by your Spirit, stir us to be obedient to whatever you call us to do to give money, to give time to lay down our lives and to surrender all for you we pray in the name of Jesus
Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how. sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.